0: This song last week. Uh, who and I, would you stand if you're able and join us? Want to come up and join us for kindergarten through fourth grade? You're welcome to come up if you like, can I, go? I know, I took it off. <laughs> All right, how are you guys doing today? Okay, yeah. Hey, did you guys have some snow days this week? I have snow days this week. Do you like snow days? Yeah? Why do you like snow days? Don't have to school, right? I figured. What do you what? Go ahead. I to go you get to go sledding. And that was gonna be my next question. What do you like to do on a snow day? Sledding? That's a fun thing to do on a snow day. What else? Sledding. Just sledding. Okay. Yeah, go ahead, Katie. Sledding. Sledding. Okay, I got three for sledding. <laughs>
1: Building
0: stuff with my dad. Building stuff with your dad. Inside or outside? Inside. Inside. So we're not talking like snowmen. We're talking about okay, other crap. Oh, oh, that sounds like fun. Yeah, that can be fun too. Just stay indoors where it's nice and warm. Do fun things. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I like to do on a snow day? I like to sit in my easy chair, wrapped up on my blankets, and, and watch old movies. And sleep. No movies. That's and what, sleep. That's what I do on a snow day. In sleep? fact, in honor of snow day, I was going to show a movie to you this morning. Guess what?
1: No way. It's not going to work
0: cuz we don't have any sound. <laughs> That's right. We'll have to figure out how to manage without it. Yeah. Have you guys ever seen the movie Cars? Who's seen the movie Cars? No? Not really? Okay. It looks, let's see. Yeah. Okay. That's Lightning McQueen, right? He's a He's a famous He's a famous race car. And he's trying to figure out how to turn on this dirt track can't do it and then doc hudson who's an older wiser experienced car he says to him you guys remember this part if you want to go left you have to do what
1: Our right.
0: you have to turn right you guys ever seen that before yes. that's what he's telling them right now right so if you want to go left you got to turn right okay that's all we'll watch because it doesn't do any good to watch a movie without sound. All right? But what you find out, what you find out, though, is that Lightning McQueen, he doesn't l- listen to Doc Hudson. He thinks he's, be- he's crazy. He's like, that's the silliest thing I've ever heard of. Who turns right to go left? Who does that?
1: Not right? me. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Why do you think it was hard for Lightning McQueen to listen to Doc Hudson? He was old? <laughs> he didn't to because he was old? He <laughs>
1: didn't su- listen to him because he was old.
0: I suppose that's possible. I think the reason why Lightning McQueen- it didn't Mc- make sense? There you go. That's exactly right. It doesn't make sense. That doesn't make any sense at all. Who turns right to go left? No yeah. one. It sounds cuckoo, but you know what? If we were to watch a movie, you know what we would see? It actually works. And Doc Hudson proves it. He shows him exactly how it works. But see, see, here's what we have to realize. Doc Hudson was older than Lightning McQueen. He had more experience. He knew things about driving on a dirt track that Lightning McQueen didn't know, right? And so, that's kind of like sometimes when our parents or our teachers or, yes, even our pastors say things to us that don't make sense, and we, find, we, we think they're crazy. We don't want to listen to them, right? It makes it hard to listen because it doesn't make sense to us. But here's what we have to realize, guys. Your parents and your teachers, they care about you. They love you. They wouldn't tell you something that would hurt you, right? They wouldn't tell you something that would, that would be a lie, right? And not only that, but they know a lot of times, most of the time, our parents, our teachers, people that are older, they know more than we do. They've got experience, right? And so even though something doesn't make sense, sometimes, we have to consider the source. We have to say, okay, but what do I know about this person that's telling me this? Is this somebody who loves me and cares about me? Is this somebody who knows more than I do? And then, even though it doesn't make sense to us, we need to listen to them, right? Yeah, Caden? Oh, the light in your eyes, sorry. Okay. You know something else that sometimes doesn't make sense, but we really have to listen to? It's The Bible. Yeah. You know, there's all kinds of crazy things in the Bible that don't make sense. We call them paradoxes. You know what a paradox is? No. You ever heard that before? Okay. A paradox is something that just doesn't sound right. It actually sounds the opposite of what it should be. And the Bible's full of them. The Bible tells us that who would be first must be last. Yeah, that's what the Bible says. It says if you want to be great, what you have to do is serve everybody. And it says if you want to live, you have to die. Right? Now, this sounds crazy, doesn't it? It doesn't make any sense. And it almost sounds like a contradiction. Just like if you want to go left, you have to turn right. See, it doesn't make sense. It sounds wrong to us, but actually, it turns out that it's right. And what the Bible's trying to do, it's not a contradiction. What it's doing is it's trying to get us to look at things in a different way. Right? It's trying to, what it's trying to say is you don't really understand what greatness is, what you think greatness is, the way the world defines greatness. God defines it another way. And so he's trying to teach us to look at things in a different perspective. Okay. So, here's the question you have to ask yourself. Who's more worthy of trust, God or the world? What do you think? God. Absolutely, why? Because he cares about us. He loves us, he wants what's right for us. The
1: world doesn't love us. That's
0: right, Caden, the world does not love us. Exactly the opposite, right? Not only that, but God knows more than anybody, right? He created us. He knows what's best for us. And so when he tells us something, that's because that's what's best for us. And we've got to remember that. got to remember that about our parents, about our teachers, and we've got to remember that about the Word of God. Okay? So when you hear something that doesn't make sense to you, you have to consider the source. Who's telling you that? Now, if it's somebody that is not trustworthy, it's okay not to listen. But if it's somebody who loves you and cares about you, wants the best for you, and knows more than you, like your mom and dad, like God, we should trust them even when it doesn't make sense, right? All right, good, fantastic, good job, guys. Let's come get a treat, and then you can go downstairs to your class. Oh, that's a good one. You guys are the pickiest pickies ever. Then how come you're the last one? Let's go, let's go, let's go. Okay, it's going away, it's going away. All right. Well, I am sorry for the technical difficulty today, and I hope that you can hear me. If you can't, I don't know. Yeah, it's something like that works, Steve. Just give me some kind of symbol, like you need to speak up. All right, let's. These seats are free, by the way. Yeah. We have excellent seats right up front. There's five space Good call, Pastor Tim. Lots of seats up front. All right, let's let's pray. Oh, you want me to come closer to you? <laughs> All right, let's pray, and then we will uh, keep moving on. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, for just uh, the fact that you cared enough about us to write things down in a resource for us that we could use to know what's best for us. And I, I pray that you would help us today through this message, but every day really, Lord, to trust in that even when it doesn't make sense. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are here to worship the, word, uh, worship the Lord through the study of his word. At least that's why I'm here. I hope that's why you're here too. And the reason that we're here to do that is because we believe that the word of God has the words of life. Do we not? Amen. And that it will correct the false notions and the twisted values that this world tries to convince us of. And we are engaged right now in a study in the book of Isaiah called The Gospel According to Isaiah. And I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your copy of the scriptures to Isaiah chapter 2. And I'm calling this series The Gospel According to Isaiah because remember, gospel means good news. But as we saw last week, the gospel starts with some bad news and in chapter one we saw how the lord had diagnosed uh, the nation of judah with a terminal condition which i called spiritual blindness what that means is that they were very religious uh, yet they were still lost in their sins and they didn't even know it But the chapter ended on a high note, a positive note, with the promise of redemption. And as we pick up in Isaiah chapter 2, we're going to find that the opening verses of this chapter are going to continue that theme. Let's read the first five verses together, starting in chapter 2, verse 1. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it came to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. You'll notice as we start off chapter 2, verse 1, begins with another superscription. Remember, we talked about this last week. This is uh, very similar to what we saw in chapter 1, verse 1. And what this probably indicates is that this portion of Scripture was written at a different time. Remember that Isaiah had a very long ministry, at least 40 years, possibly as much as 60 years. And so it's reasonable for us to assume he didn't sit down and write his entire book in one sitting. He probably wrote it uh, a little bit, you know, bit by bit over time. And so this is a different time that he's writing this. We don't know when exactly. He doesn't, he doesn't tell us. But like with the superscription in chapter 1, we see the same thing, this emphasis. He's talking about the word that Isaiah saw. So once again, we're seeing that this is revelation from God. This is actually God's message. Not Isaiah's. He's just sharing it with us. Then in verses 2 through 4, contain a vision on the mountain of the Lord in the latter days. This is a, a vision of future glory. Now, there's some debate about whether, is this talking about an actual mountain? Like, for example, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem? Or is this just some sort of metaphor and uh, I, I don't know that it, it's that important one way or the other. I will say this, when I look at this, it really does fit the description of Jesus Christ on the throne in, uh, in his millennial kingdom that we see in other places in scripture. There's no mention of the messianic king here, but it does kind of fit that description. Leads me to think this is probably talking about a literal mountain Uh, at some point in the future. But before we break that down, what I want you to notice, first of all, is that this vision leads to an invitation in verse 5. That invitation says, O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. And this has led me to title this sermon, Walking in the Light of the Lord. This invitation, chapter 2, verse 5, is similar to an invitation we saw in chapter 1, verse 18, where it said, come, let us reason together. Though your sins were as scarlet, they will be white as snow. And I think what this does, these two invitations right here at the very beginning of Isaiah's book, is it shows us the heart of the prophet. And not just Isaiah, but even the Lord himself, his heart in revealing this to Isaiah He really wants Judah to come back to them. Yes, he's calling them out for their sin. He is giving them bad news, if you will. But his hope is that they will change their direction, come back to him. But what does it mean to walk in the light of the Lord? Well, think about what light does. It reveals Right? It, it makes plain, it makes clear, it shows what previously was hidden. So you can stumble around in the dark, you can't see where you're going, but when you turn the light on, you can, right? And so this is a metaphor that we see used throughout Scripture. If you do a search on walking in the light, you're going to find literally dozens of Scriptures that talk about this, but they don't always mean. The same thing so for example one way that we can think of walking in the light is to talking about being above board right having nothing to hide not sneaking around in the shadows we see this in, for example in ephesians chapter 5 verse 8 for you were once in darkness but now you are light in the lord walk as children of light and then it goes on later in verse 13 to say Uh, But all things are exposed, are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. So this is talking about, see, if, if somebody's doing something in the dark, they don't want you to see what they're doing. They have something to hide. But we're supposed to walk in the light where everybody can see what we're doing, right? We're not supposed to have things to hide. That's one way the Bible talks about walking in light. But I don't think that's what it's talking about here. Another way that we can think of walking in the light, is to be well-informed or to be aware. For example, Psalm 119, 105, a familiar verse to many of you, right? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And that, So this is talking about light now as something that shows the way, right? Uh, that, uh, that gives us direction. We, we can We see this in our English word, enlightened. What does it mean to be enlightened? It means to be informed, right? Um, It's, uh, again, John chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. What's he saying there? He's saying that when we follow Jesus, when we adhere to his teaching, The information that we receive, the teaching that we receive from Jesus shows us the way. It gives us the ability to choose the right path. And I think that's what Isaiah is talking about here. When he invites Judah, he says, come, let us walk in the light. And that's not always easy to do. Sometimes the truths of scripture are counterintuitive. They don't make sense. But I think that we're going to find in this passage four truths that are going to help us to walk in the light. And the first one is we walk in the light when we keep our eyes fixed on future glory. Okay. so this vision here, verses two through four, it's important to us for a couple of reasons. Number one, it it connects to and reaffirms the great promises that we saw at the end of chapter one that all hope is not lost, that God is going to fulfill his promises to restore and to redeem his people. But second, it's also a a concrete visual uh, reminder for them and for us, something that we can hold on to. This picture of what the future is going to look like and what a beautiful future it will be. As we see um, this this picture of the future, God is finally exalted as he deserves. It's not just uh, Judah, not just Israel, but all the nations are going to come and worship him and walk in his ways. And the the Lord himself is pictured as ruling to such a degree that there will be a, a peace unlike any that the world has ever known. They're going to beat their their swords into plowshares. They're going to turn their weapons of death and destruction into useful tools for cultivation. This is the day that all who love the Lord look forward to. This is what we put our hope in. And it's this picture, if we keep this image at the forefront of our minds, we are uh, far more likely to walk in the light. See, when we start focusing on our surrounding circumstances, when that's where our focus is, when we lose sight of this beautiful future, this hope that's waiting for us, that's when we're tempted to no longer walk in the light. Uh, a special note in this picture here, I uh, notice that it says that the, um, the people are... Uh, are, are coming to the mountain and it says all nations shall flow to it, right? This, this picture of the people uh, who are flowing up the mountain. Um, and, I, and there's some people that that's why they think maybe it's metaphorical because rivers don't flow uphill, right? And yet, I don't think that's really uh, what it's talking about. Have you ever attended like a concert or a play or a sporting event? And what happens at the end? Right, everybody leaves, <laughs> and it just becomes this river of people, you know, crowding the hallways, all heading toward the exits. And, and we can see, that, like, that flow, that mass of humanity all just kind of moving in one direction. I think that's kind of what this is talking about. There, we're all moving in one direction. We all have one purpose. Right? If you're at a concert, that purpose is What? Get to my car and go home. But the purpose we're seeing here, the people flowing up the mountain of God, their purpose is to learn and to walk in his ways. This going up imagery, this is the first time uh, that we see it in this chapter, but it's it's a common theme that we're going to see throughout the chapter. Chapter two makes extensive use of, of terms for elevation, you know, going up, and humility or humiliation, going down. uses a bunch of different words, but if you're in the habit of marking your Bibles, and I hope you are, that might be something you want to do, just like circle all those words so you can see. they'll, They'll pop out. They'll stand out to you. They're all through the chapter, and I think that that is a good reminder to us that there are two paths, Right? There's the path of light, and there's the path of darkness. There's the path that goes up, and there's the path that goes down. Jesus famously put it this way in his sermon on the mount. He said, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Two paths, two different ways we can go. And Isaiah is inviting the nation of Judah and us to choose the path of light, to walk in the light of the Lord. See, in Isaiah's day, Judah was going down the wrong path. They were walking in darkness. They were on the path leading downward. They were not fixed on this vision of the future, this This vision of hope and glory. Well, what were they fixed on? They were fixated on many things, and those things are outlined in the next section, which leads to the second truth, that we will walk in the light of the Lord when we avoid being filled with stuff and fluff. Let me read, and then I'll explain what that means. Let's let's start in verse 6. It says, For you have forsaken your people the house of Jacob, because they are filled with eastern ways. They are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they are pleased with the children of foreigners. Their land is also full of silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is also full of horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. People bow down, and each man humbles himself. Therefore, do not forgive them. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty. Maybe it's just because my wife and I are on a diet right now, but I couldn't help but see a food imagery here. Okay? Um, stuff in, so when I say stuff and fluff, I'm talking about those delicious treats that we love that have absolutely no nutritional value. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, there's a whole box of them right there, right, that I share with the kids. Yeah, so, and not only does it have no nutritional value, it's probably even stuff that really is harmful to us, right? It's not good for us. So you can think about it this way, right? You're in the kitchen, you're cooking supper, Your child comes in and says, can I have a cookie? And what do you say? No, it's going to ruin your dinner. No, exactly right. No, you're going to ruin your supper, right? Because we know that if you fill up on junk, there's not going to be room left for what your body really needs, right? Well, the same thing happens, same kind of thing happens to prevent us from walking in the light. Four times in these verses, six, actually six through eight, four times just in those three verses, we're going to see Isaiah referring to Judah being filled with stuff that's no good for them. The first thing he says in verse six, he says they are filled with Eastern ways. Now the direction here is not really that important. Uh, It just so happens that to the east of Judah, that's where Babylon and Assyria were, the great, those great national powers. But they were also pagan nations. And so when it says that they're filled with eastern ways, what it means is that they, they are attracted to what these pagan nations were doing. That they, uh, that they were beginning to dabble in other religious practices. And the more they tried it, the more they liked it. And this starts to ta- when you start to do that, it takes time away from when- from true worship, from what you should be doing, because you're doing this other stuff, right? It's like a kid who fills up on cookies and then ruins his supper. Judah was being filled up on eastern, way- eastern ways, and it was ruining their walk in the light. Verse 7 it also says they're full of silver and gold. I don't think this is saying that they're super rich necessarily, um, but it's talking about the pursuit of wealth um, and material possession. So when it says uh, there was no end to their treasures, in other words, it's saying there's all these shiny baubles out there that look so pretty to them, and that's what they were following after. Also says they're full of Horses and chariots. The second half of verse 7, this is a reference to military might back in those days, right? Military might was, was uh, equated with how strong was your cavalry? Did you have a lot of horses and chariots? And, of course, we're reminded as we read the Old Testament how Judah was constantly trying to solve their own political problems uh, in their own strength. Instead of relying on God, they were always making treaties with the the pagan nations. And oftentimes that included what? Them getting horses and chariots. So this is the pursuit of of power. And then in verse 8, they're also full of idols. And of course, in Isaiah's day, that referred to actual carved idols. Images, statues, and so forth that people would bow down to, false gods. Each of these things, the eastern ways, the silver and gold, the horses, the idols, these are all distractions. Not to mention that many of them is outright disobedience, right? Israel, Judah, they were commanded not to follow after idols, they were commanded not to multiply for themselves horses and chariots. So they're distractions, they're disobedient, and what it's doing is it's pulling their attention to the here and now and away from this vision of future glory that they should be keeping their eyes on. Each one of these things also has a, a parallel in our contemporary culture. You know, there, there are very few people who bow down and worship at carved idols in our culture. Uh, but there's, there's some things that are, are very obvious to us. I mean, we, we recognize silver and gold, the pursuit of wealth, obviously something that happens frequently in our culture. Um, so others are, are not so obvious. You know, what, what are the idols for us today? They're not statues, so what are they? And we recognize that anything that we Make more important to the Lord uh, more important than us. more important <laughs> more important than the Lord to us thank you, English. Um, that becomes an idol for us, right? It doesn't have to be a, a statue of a God. So things like uh, sports, entertainment. Our leisure activities, these are all things that can become idols for us, right? And those things are okay in moderation, but when we focus on them too much, when they begin to consume so much of our time and energy that it takes away from worshiping the Lord, it becomes an idol. And if we fill ourselves up with these these things, there's no room left walk in the light now verse 9 uses this this elevation and uh, humility language again although it may not be easy to see in your English translation um, almost all of the English translations that I consulted translate the Hebrew word here at the end of verse 9 it says therefore do not forgive them that word that's translated forgive That is a valid translation. It is translated that way in other places, but it's not the primary translation of that word, and I don't think it's the best translation in this context. If you think about it, why would Isaiah make this invitation to them, come, let us walk in the light, but then turn to God and say, oh, but don't forgive them? That doesn't make sense. Right? It's inconsistent with this message. It's also inconsistent with God's character. We know that God is always ready to forgive. right? But this word that's translated as forgive appears three more times in verses 12 through 14, but you won't be able to see it because in 12 through 14, it's translated as lift up. So what if we were to translate it that way in verse nine people bow down each man humbles himself therefore do not lift them up what would that mean well i think that would be saying that um god don't let them get away with it right so that would be talking about discipline do do what you have to do lord to get their attention to to get them to stop bowing down to idols come back to you. To me, that makes much more sense in this context. So you might want to just make a little note to yourself there, right? God's character is such that he is always ready to forgive, but we don't want to uh, confuse that with him being tolerant of sin. That's not the same thing. He's ready to forgive, but he will not tolerate our sin. And in verse 10, It says, enter into the rock, hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord. What's he saying there? He's saying if you're going to bow down to idols, if you're going to get on your face on the ground before idols, you might as well keep right on digging. Dig yourself a hole down into the dirt. and, And just try to escape the terror of the Lord. Now I realize that's not a popular message today, but the reality is God hates sin. Yes, he's ready to forgive us of our sin, but he still hates our sin. He wants us to put it away. Now, you can dig a hole as deep as you like, it won't do you any good. You're not going to be able to escape the wrath of the Lord. But I think if we translate that word forgive as lift up, that also better aligns with the third truth that we see in this passage. And that is that we walk in the light of the Lord when we embrace the elevation enigma. And that's in verses 11 through 17. It says, the lofty looks of man shall be humbled. The haughtiness of men shall be bowed down and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. For the Lord, uh, excuse me, for the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low, upon all the cedars of Lebanon that are high and lifted up, and upon all the oaks of Bashan, upon all the high mountains, and upon all the hills that are lifted up, upon every high tower, and upon every fortified wall, upon all the ships of Tarshish. And upon all the beautiful sloops, the loftiness of man shall be bowed down and the haughtiness of man shall be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. You see what I'm talking about? If you circle all the terms for being lifted up and being brought down, that, that little section is just full of them. So what do I mean when I say the elevation enigma? Well, that's just a silly little phrase that I made up. I couldn't resist the temptation. Sorry about that. But hopefully it will help you to remember. Because honestly, this is a concept that I think most of us in the room today are probably pretty familiar with. This is not new. Okay, It's a truth that you've heard before. And so it's something I think we can cover pretty quickly And the elevation enigma is this. If you want to be exalted, you have to humble yourself. Right? Uh, And conversely, those who try to exalt themselves will what? Be humbled. Right? We see this all over the New Testament. It's one of those paradoxes I was talking about to the kids. Right? Luke chapter uh, 11. Excuse me, 14, verse 11. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will also be exalted. It's a paradox. It doesn't make sense from the perspective of the world, right? But this is not a contradiction. This is the Lord trying to get us to look at things a different way, from a new and different perspective. And so what he's saying here is the world has one definition of success, but the Lord has a very different definition. What looks like to the world as being exalted is actually something that's not good for you. It's something that will bring you down. And what looks like humility to the world is something that will exalt us in God's estimation. You see that? So so what he's doing here is he's trying to get us to think differently, to see differently, to change our understanding of what exaltation means. See, you can exalt yourself for a time. You can be exalted in the world's eyes for a time. But in the final accounting... When we all stand before the Lord, and we will all stand before the Lord. And we give account for how we have conducted ourselves. We will be judged by his standards, not the world's. And if we spent our time being exalted in the world's eyes, that is not going to work out too well for us when we stand before Jesus. So embracing the elevation enigma means com- committing ourselves to put aside pride, to living a life of humility. Because frankly, if we don't, sorry about that, if we don't, he will do it for us. Which leads to the fourth and final truth that we see in verses 18 through 22. And that is, uh, put. if we are going to walk in the light of the Lord, we will put away Adverse influences. Uh, look at verse eight, 18. But the idols he shall utterly abolish. They shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. In that day a man will cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made each for himself to worship to the moles and bats, to go into the clefts of the rock and into the crags of the rugged rocks from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. Sever yourselves from such a man whose breath is in his nostrils, for of what account is he? So you'll notice in verse 19 we see some very similar language that we saw in verse 10, this idea of going down into the earth to escape the terror of the Lord. There's a difference now, though, because the difference now, Lord, the Lord is the one who's burying the idols in the holes of the rocks and in the caves of the earth, right? And he will do it. He's patient now, but his patience has a limit, and a day is coming when he will put down, all the idols because the Lord refuses to share his glory. And in the future glory that awaits, there's going to be no more fooling around with idols. As we see in verse 20, the people are, are casting away their idols, right? They're, they're putting them into the clefts of the rocks and into the cracks of under the ground. Why? To escape from the, terror of the lord right same language we see in verse 10 and in verse 19 and i think that this this is made even more plain for us if we look forward to isaiah chapter 45 and 23 what he's talking about here he says i have sworn by myself the lord has gone out from my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that to me every knee shall bow Every tongue shall take an oath. And you might recognize this a little bit more. It's quoted by Paul in Romans chapter 14, verse 11. But probably the most familiar to us is in Philippians 2, verses 9 and 10. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those earth under the earth this is the future of glory that we look forward to there's going to come a time when every knee will bow people are going to put away all their idols they won't have any choice some some will do it out of love and true worship for the lord but there's going to be others in that day who will do it because they don't have any choice But there is an alternative. And that alternative is found in verse 22. And that is he gives us the opportunity to do it for ourselves. My translation reads sever yourselves from such a man. You might have something different in front of you. Literally in the Hebrew, it is Abandon or cease yourselves from the man, which doesn't make a lot of sense to us, which is why the translations try to kind of clear it up for us. Um, but but notice how he 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 goes a little bit further to describe what man is he talking about, one whose breath is in his nostrils. So I think that this is actually talking about man's temporary nature, right? and and, and so, what Isaiah is doing here is he's bringing us back full circle right to the place where we began. And he's saying, don't trust in, in man. Don't trust in the things of man. Those things are temporary. They're described in scripture as vapor, something that quickly dissipates as grass, right here today, gone tomorrow. Don't put your, your trust in these temporary things And yet these are the things that so often occupy our attention, that we put our trust in. Idols, wealth, power. And Isaiah says we need to sever or separate ourselves from those adverse influences that are only going to drag us down. And we need to keep our eyes fixed on the future glory, that the vision of the promise of God's redemption. That day is coming. And yeah, it's taken a long time. And we don't know when it's going to get here. It may not happen in our lifetimes. But But trust me, no matter how long you spend on this earth, It is a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. So let's keep our eyes fixed on that. And not on the things around us. Well, I just want to finish up with this question. Are you walking in the light of the Lord? And if not, what's stopping you? Have you lost sight of the future glory that awaits those who follow him? Are you so full of the stuff and fluff of the world that you've crowded out time and energy which should be spent walking in the light, following Jesus? Are you so busy climbing the ladder of excess, trying to claw your way to the top that you and you've accepted the world's definition of success that you've forgotten the elevation enigma that he who would be first should be last? That he who wants to be great should be a servant to all. And if you want to be exalted, you have to humble yourself. Are there adverse influences in your life that are pulling you down the wrong path? Isaiah's invitation to Judah still stands for the church today. I think where most of us are familiar with Hebrews chapter 4, Verse 15, right? For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And that, that is the hope for us that exists in Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross when he paid the penalty of our sins and he offers up to us the free gift of salvation. But let's not forget that this truth is followed by an invitation in Hebrews 4.16, it says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That is the invitation today. It's the same invitation that Isaiah gave to Judah. O oh, come, let us walk in the light. And you can do it today. You can choose to walk in the light of the Lord. And these truths from Isaiah will help. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of your word, for the precious promises that you give to us, for your grace and your mercy, that even though we are helpless sinners, you have provided a way for us to walk in the light through Jesus Christ our Lord. I pray that each of us here today would make the choice to not walk in darkness, but to walk in light. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us? We are confronted with the reality that He is holy. And one day, every knee will bow, as Pastor Sean said. Let us sing our worship to Him. week that we put aside our feeble selves, put aside our trust in ourselves, our trust in uh, mankind, and that we would trust in you for you are the only thing that is true, that is sure, that is faithful to the end. Father, we pray that we would remember this this week and
1: that you would put people in our path that we can share your word with. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.